Thanks, Gail. Well, welcome. Everybody doing okay? All right. So, Aaron getting baptized today. That was a highlight. That was really good. I had to dunk him quick because the water was getting hot fast. You could see the steam coming up. And it's wow. Yeah, we keep it warm for you. Yeah. So praise the Lord. You know, that's that's amazing. Having you guys back, Rukus and Wasam. That's I just I I missed you guys. We love you, and it's not the same when you're not here. And that's that's a point of praise. couple things that are kind of heavy on my heart. Uh, one is just the Kenny cuts, you know, Tarl Knights. He was a part of this class for a lot of years. He was here before most of you were came and probably a lot of you don't know him, but they're the best friends. Um, Tarl and Gina are best friends with the Kenny cuts. And, and, um, I'm just burdened for you guys. And, uh, so we're going to have a teaching time, and then we're going to break up to our small groups. And during that small group time, you want to pray, because there's things you can't do all by yourself, Christian. There's things you can't do sit in the middle of the sanctuary. Those are the things we want to do here. So let's lift up the things that, we, that need to be lifted up together. So, so you're going to have a time of prayer in your small groups. But I would just say, can you add the kinney cuts to that? Can you do that? And then, and then can you add Gail to that? Gail's dad is, is not in, in a really good place probably in any way, shape or form. And, and uh, that's weighing heavy on Gail, both in terms of just time and resource commit, like commitment to being up there all the time. But, but if we could just add to your small group prayer list, those two things, that, that would be really good. Um, so, all right, let's, let's get into it. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible. Everyone should have a handout. And we're in the last week of our first John Fellowship series. Can you believe that? We're in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Now, the last two weeks have been a bit complicated, I confess, Okay. I could I can make simple things complicated, and and these verses are actually difficult verses and fairly complicated. But this week we get a simple verse. Okay, so we don't have to work quite as hard to maybe understand what's going on in this passage. However, the implications of what's going on in this passage are absolutely life changing. So we want to get into that. Here's here's our Bible studies in the metro area. If you haven't plugged into a Bible study yet, you want to talk to one of our Bible study leaders. And that's Gail and Scott, Tim, men's Bible study, and then Christine for our ladies' Bible study. We're still figuring out what that's supposed to look like, but you want to talk to one of those people. Okay, so, all right, you guys ready? First John chapter 5, verse 21. Yeah. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. That's it. Thank God for, for a, a less complicated verse. The context of what we've been talking about in this entire book is fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. 
So I've written out Acts chapter 17, verse 16 on the introduction portion of your handout. This is what we read. Now, Paul waited for them at Athens. While Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the whole city, saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Okay, so the backstory to that, Paul had been run out of town by all the drama caused by the unbelieving Jews from Thessalonica. They followed him to Berea. The, the believers had to take Paul and like be like, Paul, you got to go. Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea while they took Paul away and they deposited him in Athens. And Paul's just waiting. So Paul's in the coffee shop downtown in Athens, finally gets a little reprieve from all the ministry he's doing. And he's just waiting. And while he waited in Athens, Paul looked over and, and he saw idolatry. And then he looked the other direction and he saw more idolatry. And everywhere Paul looks, he sees the whole city everywhere he looks. And look at what it says. The city was wholly given to idolatry. Okay, so Paul, who's supposed to be just waiting for the rest of the ministry team to join him at the coffee shop so they can regroup, his spirit was stirred up in him. And he, he, he went downtown, he just started preaching and teaching, and he taught in the synagogues, and he started just giving the gospel because he couldn't handle just seeing all the idolatry that was there. And, and my prayer has been that our spirits would be moved. Like, like if we can identify idolatry, we wouldn't be okay just to sit in the coffee shop, you know, and just let it go on. The Bible says, hey, little children, keep yourself from idols. So this passage is simple. What's it mean to little children? And then how do we keep ourselves from idols? So, so let's look at it. The phrase little children is found 16 times in your New Testament. Okay, nine of them are in 1 John. So when the Bible says little children, how should we perceive that? Is that, is that an insult? Like you're just a big baby. Is that what that's thought? No, no. Matthew 18, verse 3, Christ said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. This little child, this phrase that we see in 1 John is a term of endearment. It is something you would say to express affection and love to someone. You think of it like darling. Oh, there's my little darling. Someone who, who is precious to me. It'd be like your grandchild. So Shiloh, right? How old is Shiloh? 16 months. Is there anything wrong with Shiloh? Or is he just perfect in every way? He's perfect in every way, Grandma says. Christine, you have three grandchildren. They are very dark. Look at her face. She just can't. She's just beaming thinking about them because they're darling to her. Relationally. So, so, so this term is, is very descriptive relationally. Okay, it, it, it is a term of endearment. I was in Sam's office this week on, on um, Thursday. We were going over some missions budget stuff. Well, my daughter Kylie was there with our granddaughters for mom's group. And I heard 
Josie's voice coming up the stairs. I'm like, meeting's over. They're like, okay, thanks, we're done. Because why? Because it's my granddaughter, my grandchild. I'm out because they're very darling to me. Okay, so we can, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you can relate to this term, little children. Okay, but don't, don't miss this. We're the little children. God's the, 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 the grandpa. Okay, he's the father. But, but, but God is the one who calls you little children, that term of endearment. You are his darling. Okay? So it's a good thing. So, so, so it's a good thing to be looked at in God's eyes that way. Little children, are to keep, we are to keep ourselves from idols. To do this, letter A, we have to identify idols. Okay, so in a culture given to idolatry, it's probably easier to start by looking for that which is not idolatry than for looking for that which is idolatry. So normally I think the message like this would be like solemnly, like let's have a moment of introspection. Let's look within our hearts to see, you know, and it's like, Try to identify some degree of idolatry in your life. Our culture, I would argue, is like Athens, and it is wholly given to idolatry. Okay, you could do an experiment if you don't believe me, okay? Just get your, 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 your notebook, okay, and just go turn on your television and see what's on there. And see if what is being displayed on the thousand channels on your television, your satellite hookup, whatever you got. We don't have cable or any of that. We just have the antenna. So on our 10 channels, whatever. And just start writing down what the television shows are glorifying. Are they glorifying the things of God? God the Father, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us selfless love one for another or are they glorifying violence uh, sex drugs rock and roll selfishness personal ambition all that stuff and then just what the commercials are appealing to in your life are they appealing to your sense of charity and love and forgiveness or are they appealing to the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and just write down on this page how many things are not glorifying God, that God would see as worship. And then on this side of the page, you just write down all the things that's in our, I'm not talking about the Christian channel, I'm talking about our culture. How many things in our culture actually are designed to glorify God? And I think what you'll find in your study is probably that what's being put out there would be, in God's eyes, idolatry trying to find satisfaction from things in the world, not from the relationship we have with God and worship of him. And you could go out and do a poll and just ask people, through what means do you find satisfaction in your life? You could ask it in some way that's maybe not quite that weird. But, but like most of them aren't going to tell you, I get all my needs met through my relationship with God the Father. You know, when I look full into his wondrous face the things of earth grow strangely dim 
in light of his glory and grace. Most people, that's not their testimony. Our culture, I would argue, is kind of like Acts chapter 16, given to idolatry. You're like, oh, best, you're crazy. No one has idols in their basement. Well, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Look at 1 Samuel 15, 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Well, how could stubbornness be as idolatry? Well, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. Right, this is what, what the message Samuel gave to King Saul, if you have the context for that. But anytime someone just rejects what God has provided, rejected the word of the Lord, and decided to do things their own way, what are they doing? Well, I can't just do what God said. I can't find my satisfaction from being in fellowship with him. I have to make sure this outcome is going to go the way I want it to. So I'm afraid. I've been hurt before. I'm vulnerable. I'm scared. I'm greedy, whatever. And then they control their own outcomes. And in doing so, reject God's way. So anyway, that's like idolatry. Colossians 3, 5. Check this one out. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. How is covetousness? Well, what is covetousness? Like, how would we know what that is? What's covetousness? Anybody know? You want something that belongs to someone else. Okay, so um, this is one of the big ten, ten commandments, right? Here's how it goes. Check it out. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Okay. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And really this whole, this, this last phrase, nor anything else, which is theirs. Really, it, it just hits this attitude of wanting something that God hasn't given me. Okay, so I, it's my neighbor. That means I live next to them. That means I have my own house. It's my neighbor. It's, it's Ron and Sue. They live next door. It's Mac. He lives over there. So I actually have my house, but instead of wanting my house, I'm like, man, Mac, I want his house. I don't want what God's given me. I'm not content with what God's given me. I want what God has given someone else. And that attitude, see, I'm not okay with what I've been given. I, I need something else to be satisfied, to be fulfilled. I'm going to find satisfaction. Does that, you see how that's idolatry? Okay. Don't covet your, your neighbor's wife. I have a good idea. Why don't you steward the relationship that God's given you like he told you to? Then you won't have to covet your neighbor's wife because you'll have a wife who is just head over heels in love with you. Your husband, just he wants to spend time. He won't have time to go covet in the neighbor's wife because he stewarded well the house, the wife, the, you know, don't. Don't cover, don't cover the manservant, like his, like his ability to get her done and the, his ox. Don't covet your neighbor's tractor, Aaron, or his ass. Don't, 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 don't covet your neighbor's 
F250, XLT, just don't, yeah. Okay. That's idolatry when I say, okay, God, I'm not content with what I've been given. I want, and you know why? Anyway, I'll go on. Okay, so idols. Okay, so, so are, you, are you still with me in First John chapter five? Okay, we're in verse 21, but just look up to verse 19 real quick. Actually, go, we'll read 18 and 19. First John 5, 18 and 19. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God. Isn't that good to know? We're of God. And the whole world lieth in wickedness. There's a contrast there. The whole world lieth in wickedness. You guys, the world system is jacked up. It's wicked. It's perverted. It's flawed. It's all been turned upside down. But we, the called out assembly, have been taken out of the world. We are of God. We are not supposed to be hanging out in the world of the world, doing things the way the world does. And we're supposed to be different, right? We were saved out of that. Why would we want to go back into that? So idols, just to identify idols, idols are things of the world that would draw us away from God and draw us back into the world. There are things of the world that want to bring us back into the world. Okay, so we need to keep ourselves from idols. Hey, Christine, in my backpack over there, well, it's over there somewhere. Do you have that backpack? Hmm. It's over here somewhere. Well, it's in here somewhere. Is my Bible over there? I have your Bible. Yeah, okay. So in my Bible, in the zip-up pockets, a little book. Can you grab that for me? Thank you. Okay, so let's talk about keeping ourselves from idols. Think about Jesus when he had gone to the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. He went down. He led captive captive, and he's getting ready to go back up and present himself to the Father. Here's what he said to Mary. Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> but I go to my brethren. But I'm sorry. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. So Jesus had paid the penalty for sin, right? He's getting ready to go present his sacrifice as a presentation for the payment of the sin of the whole world to the Father. And he goes, don't, 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 don't touch me. I can't get any of this world on me. Don't, don't touch me. I don't want to get like human germ. Like he has to go present himself sinless, separate from the world to the Father. Okay, we need to have kind of that same attitude. Like I've been set free from everything that's wrong, but I still need to go to work. I'm still working with a bunch of lost people. I'm still just out there all. I just can't get any of it on me. Got to keep myself clean. We learned a couple of weeks ago. We're not trying to get to the light. We're not in darkness anymore. For in Christ, trying to get to the light. No, we're in the light. We just got to figure out how to stay there. 
keep all the world off of us. Second Corinthians chapter six, turn to second Corinthians chapter six with me. Second Corinthians chapter six, verses 14 through 18. Listen to how Paul tells this to the Corinthian church. 14 through 18. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Or what communion hath light with darkness? What concord, what agreement that is, hath Christ with Belial, the, with the devil? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? There it is. Keep yourself from idols. For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, this doesn't mean we all move a commune or a compound somewhere and wall ourselves in and separate ourselves like we don't need to do communal and that's not what it's talking about we're separate from the things of the world right we can be in the world but not of the world song of songs chapter 2 verse 2 says this okay i don't know if you're familiar with song of songs as the lily among the thorns so is my love among the daughters. So the shepherdess is there with her shepherd. They're in love. And she makes a statement. She says, I'm the Rose of Sharon. Okay, which was kind of a common flower. But it's one that just grew out in the country. So she's kind of saying, you know, I'm a country girl. And here's what the shepherd says in response. As a lily among thorns. Okay, so in terms of typology, you study out your scripture. Where do the thorns come from? Thistles and thorns out of Genesis chapter 3. It's part of the curse. So here's the shepherd who loves his bride, and he's saying, you are like a lily among the thorns. And, and this is a little book by... H.A. Ironside by Harry Ironside. I really like him in terms of his commentaries for the most part. But I want to read something that, that, that he wrote. You guys cool with that? Okay. The, no. The, the figure of the bride and the bridegroom is used very frequently in Scripture. Isaiah in the Old Testament says, As the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. It is used of the church in the New Testament. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. And when the apostle Paul speaks of the divine institution of marriage, he says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and they shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. There's that leaving and cleaving. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ to the church. And then Writing to the Corinthian believers, he says, I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Therefore, this delightful figure of the sweet and intimate marriage relationship is used throughout scripture to set forth our union and communion with the eternal lover of our souls. I have said, he writes, 
that the Song of Solomon is the book of communion. We have that beautifully set forth in the first seven verses of this second chapter. It's where we find this verse. The bride and the bridegroom are conversing together. We delight to speak with those with whom we love. Whom we love. One of the wonderful things about love is that when someone has really filled the vision of your soul, you do not feel that any time that is taken up communing with him is wasted. Here, then, you have the lovers out in the country together, and she exclaims, for it is evidently she who speaks, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Generally, and, and he goes on. And, and Does this not speak of the soul's separation to Christ himself? It is when we draw apart from the things of the world, apart to himself, that we really thrive and grow in grace and become beautiful in his sight. I'm afraid that many of us do not develop spiritually as we should because of the fact that we know so little of this heart separation to himself. One of the great griefs that comes to the heart of many a one who is seeking to lead others on, uh, on in the ways of Christ is to know the influence that the world has upon them after they are converted to God. Listen to this. This is, this is good. How often the question comes from dear young Christians. Must I give up this and must I give up that if I'm going to live a consistent Christian life? And the things they speak of with such apparent yearnings are mere trifles, after all, as compared with communion with him. Must I give up eating sawdust in order to enjoy a good dinner? Who would talk like that? Must I give up the pleasures of the world in order that I might have communion with Christ? It is easy to let them go if the soul is enraptured with him. And when you get to know him better, when you learn to enjoy communion with him, you will find yourself turning that question around. And when the world says, won't you participate with us in this doubtful pleasure or in this unholy thing, your answer will be, must I give up so much to come down to that level? Must I give up communion with him? Must I give up the enjoyment of his word? Must I give up the fellowship of his people in order to go the ways of the world? That would be giving up. Dear young Christian, do not think of it as giving up anything to go apart with him and enjoy his blessed fellowship. It is the separated soul that looks into his face and says, I am like the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. And he responds at once as a lily among the thorns. So is my love among the daughters. It is the heart satisfaction that he has in his people. And we need to decide. We want to be separate from the curse. Come out, be a lily among the thorns in your workplace in your school, and whatever, whatever your job is, we want to be like that. And so in, in your next blank, okay, it is not legalism that says, little children, keep yourselves from idols, any more than it is legalism that says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Or these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. I know there's other stuff I could be doing this morning. 
I can't even imagine though what I what would I trade just coming together and praising the Lord and, and being about my father's business with you guys, my brothers and sisters. We're going to, I mean, I actually can't imagine missing this for some other thing. I mean, not, I mean, if I'm sick, I'm going to stay home. If I have to go do something sometime, whatever, you know, yeah, but to give up what we have, to give up my quiet time where I get to come together and meet with the Lord. I don't know. That's craziness. Okay. Jeremiah 20, uh, Jeremiah 2.13. God is complaining against his people, Israel. And he says, for my people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Number two, they have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. A cistern is just like a well. It's a hole in the ground. You're going to line it with clay or something to try to hold water. So he, he's saying his people are like, like people that dig out cisterns and they're trying to collect water in the earth, in the world, literally in a hole in the earth, which is cursed. They're, they're going to they're gonna get satisfaction by drinking from that well when God's like, I'm a wellspring. Right, the theme of living well, the fountainhead, which just flows up and over. It's in a garden. It's, there's a there's a secret place, and that's where that wellspring comes from. And you find that, and you're satisfied. I, I don't really want to go out and dig cisterns. You know why? It just sounds like a lot of work when I have the wellspring. Okay, guys, this happens every day. When people seek out and try to find satisfaction from something that's not God. It's idolatry. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we're supposed to keep ourselves from idols. When we have God himself and, and then the things that be of God result from that, we don't need the things of the world. To have idols in our lives is to keep bits of the world and the devil and the flesh in place, in the place of worship in our hearts. But idols, they're supposed to be left behind at salvation, Ezekiel 20 teaches. They represent false gods. There's a spirit behind that. You know, when we have someone come in and, and there's obviously some sort of demonic spiritual oppression. Here's the question. So you got any occult books in your house? You got a family history of people that are worshiping? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Invariably, there's some source where they've been seeking an extra biblical spiritual experience of some sort that's invited the devil in. There's false gods behind that worship, as Sam was referring to this morning. Idols are snares. You get snared by those things, and, and you know, physically, psychologically, socially. Oh, it's just one drink. Anyone ever been snared by that? Seeking satisfaction from that? Oh, come on, baby. You know I love you. And then... You got drama, unwanted drama from the devil himself through this other person, and, and you're stuck with consequences of something for the I mean, you guys, it's snares. The devil doesn't just let people escape and then offers them satisfaction without there's a line on that lure, and he and that's it it can snare us. The Bible says that idols are snares. 
They inflame sinful passions. They're considered unfaithfulness to God in God's eyes. God's like, oh, wait a minute. After everything I've done for you, after a Song of Solomon relationship with you, you're going to now go find satisfaction from things in the world? That's unfaithfulness, God. Like, like, a, like a spouse who's unfaithful. That's how God sees that. He speaks about that pretty strongly in Ezekiel. So here's the key point, and then we'll break up into our small groups. You know, lots of time to discuss this. We are not of this wicked world. Woo! Praise the Lord. We've been separated and rescued from it. Idols are of this world. Those are the things that, that, that would lead us back into the world. We're supposed to keep ourselves from them, and we do this by finding the true source of joy and separating ourselves unto him. We leave and cleave. Kind of like, it's the same mentality. I'm going to leave this world behind, and I'm going to seek after everything that I can get from the Lord. If you get everything that God offers you, you are not needy anymore. And your circumstances don't own you anymore. And you don't have anxiety about the future anymore because God's got it. And so, so part of the problem is, is that we don't get everything that God offers us. And, and a lot of it's because we're tethered to this world and we're afraid to just let go of all that in order to get this. And <clears throat> in his presence, a fullness of joy. And, and, and so your questions for the small groups, you know, if, if someone's never really gotten to that place where they're just going to look to the Lord to get everything that they need and, and I'm not going to worship the things of the world. I'm not going to seek after satisfaction from the things of the world. I'm going to, quit digging cisterns. I'm just going to draw near to him. And you don't know how to do that. You know, there'll be someone in your small group who does know how to do that. Who's done that. Who's been there, who can help you. And I'll just kind of float around too, if there's questions for me, but what we'll do is we'll just pray. We'll close up. We'll have a, let's do a couple, like, like we have a pretty big couples contingency here. So why don't we do a, a couple small group up here with Scott? And then I don't know if Mike if you could run another couple small group over here, we'll do a ladies group back there and we'll do a couple men's groups back over here. Sound good? If you're, if you don't know, um, just someone will grab you. Just sit tight. Yes. Legalism. Yeah. Look at Galatians chapter two. Legalism is where someone tries to put you under the law in some way, either the Jewish law, that's the one that's easiest to understand. So the guy that says, look, you can't be right with God unless you speak Hebrew, worship on Saturday, say Yeshua, and you do the keep the feasts, can't be right with God unless you follow the law. Well, that's someone trying to put the law between you and God. They're, they're trying to, they're, and they're trying to control you. Look at Galatians 2, 2. Oh, I'm sorry, two, um, two, four, and five. Galatians 2, verse 4. Because of false brethren brought in, un unawares, unawares brought in, who came in privately, privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Legalism is where someone tries to bring you into bondage by saying you're not right with God unless you do, and then they just, whatever their favorite thing is. Unless you do swing dancing, 
tomorrow, you're not right with God. Now, you should do swing dancing tomorrow. Okay? But what if I presented that as the law, the rule that's going to determine whether or not you're right with God? Okay, that sort of a thing. So nobody uses swing dancing. But they do use lots of different things. You can't drink alcohol. You have to drink alcohol. You have to take wine with the Lord's Supper. It's not biblical, and you're not right with God. I'll show you that out of Scripture. No, you can't drink alcohol, because if you do, then, then you're in this. Okay, look. That's, they're both legalism, right? So, so legalism in verse 5 of Galatians chapter 2. So these people that were trying to bring the Galatian believers into bondage, Paul says, to whom we gave place by subjection? No, not for one hour. So the legalists are those who are trying to bring you into bondage, and they're trying to put you into subjection under them. Okay, listen, you all have to be subject to me, that is to my doctrine, when it comes to my favorite issue, my passionate preference, the thing that I'm a dottered about, I just talk about every single week. And, and you, you have to agree with me or you're not right with God. And, and here's what Paul says. That guy, we gave place by subjection. We put ourselves under him. And in doing so, we gave him the, what he was seeking. He goes, no, not for an hour. They reckon so 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 that that's not a like a dictionary definition, but legalism takes many forms. Okay, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, and my only righteousness is is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now I believe I have God's word. I, I understand it of a biblical theology. I can actually know what I believe and why, and I'm not afraid to talk about issues and things like that but I will not be brought under subjection to someone through some legalistic doctrinal stance on something. Make sense? No, not for an hour. We just preached through the entire book of 1 John, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We just went through the whole thing from beginning to end, and we just looked at what it says. I'm not trying to tell you what I think and put anybody in subjection to what I say. I'm saying let's all just agree with what God says. Amen. He can be right. I'm not right. He's right. And let's just, so, so we want to avoid legalism as much as possible. Probably nobody gets it perfect. You should all go line dancing with us tomorrow. I, uh, I'm not very good at that. Christina and I did a ballroom dancing class like 20 years ago or something. You were a break dancer? <laughs> I'm more of the guy videoing others on the side. But... No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross. Besides, if I don't dance with Christine, someone else might. And then we'd end up getting a fist fight and be really bad. All right, let's pray. And we'll break up in small groups. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, the, the, our whole culture is given to idolatry. We know that. We see it. Um. But God, maybe we're just now seeing it. And so maybe, Lord, we, you know, in our small groups, we really just need you to show us how, as your beloved, as your darlings, as your little children who have been separated from this world, how to live that thing out. So we ask you for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.